almost done with our book of 2 Samuel. We're getting close. It's been a great journey, the book of 2 Samuel. A lot of stuff we can learn from it. And uh, Well, did you guys lose power yesterday? Anybody lost power yesterday? I'm sorry? I wish I could say that. <laughs> we lost power now once, but twice. <laughs> Again? I was not home at that time. <laughs> I wasn't either. So last night we, uh, I was meditating, go taking a shower, and I'm meditating, and my wife goes, let's go eat, power might go off, and poof, there goes power. Then we, we had candlelight dinner, <laughs> candlelight dinner, and uh, then we sat down, and hey, power came on back on. Then we were about to go to bed, and poof, goes, by, goes down again, like, oh, my word. But this, the, 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 the storm already passed by the second time. I don't know why it happened the second time, but I woke up this, when I woke up in the morning, the, then power was back, so I was glad. You know, the worst thing in the morning is like you get out of bed and you want to try to go to work, and you can't see anything. You know, you know it's, it's just awkward. You get dressed, and you're in the dark, and try to can't take a shower. You know, my house, uh, when you lose power, you don't dare take a shower. <laughs> When you have well water, you know, you don't want to do that. But anyway, so that was our, our adventures yesterday. We're so used to power. When I lived in, in St. Michael, before I came to America, we uh, used to have candlelight dinner every day. <laughs> we had no electricity, but anyway. All right, let's look at Second Samuel chapter 21. Let's look at verse 1 there. And uh, the title of the message today is a snowball effect. A snowball effect. Look what it says there in uh, 2 Samuel chapter 21, verse 1. It says, Then there was famine in the days of David three years, three, years at, three, uh, three after year, and David inquired of the Lord, and the Lord's answer, And it is of Saul, and for his bloody house, because he slew the Gibeonites. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for this passage of Scripture. Lord, as we look at this uh, chapter, Lord, Lord, that I pray, help me to give justice to this passage. Lord, I have the message that you lay in my heart to teach tonight, Lord. But I pray, Father, we may, we may learn tonight, Lord, that uh, we can do something now, sin, do something that years down the road somebody can reap consequences and then had nothing to do with it. That's where we look here tonight, Lord. Saul did something and David reaped the consequences of this man's sin. I pray, Father, help us, Lord, to be truthful to you and to always confess our sin before you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So, the snow, snowball effect. Did you ever ask yourself this question? Why do we go through tough times even when we are doing right? Isn't that true? I mean, many times, I, I, I through the years, and uh, I'm not saying there's anybody here at the church, but... I've been in church for many years. I've been through different, through different churches. I've preached in many churches. But I tell you what, I hear that from even from God's people, and they, they don't say that in a mean, unkind way. Actually, they say they're hurting. Many of them are hurt. They're saying, why in the world, you know, we go to church all the time, we tithe, we give our offerings, we're faithful to the Lord, and we're going through those tough, hard times. Why life hurts so much? when we are serving God. Well, the truth is, we live in a falling world. And because we live in a falling world, 
those problems come to us. If we're not immune to problems, uh, they come to us. I mean, my, to me, like my, the way I live my life, it doesn't take me much to see problems in front of me. I just walk in my job, and I walk in and go, hey, I need to talk to you. I know it's, I know it's not problems for me, not about me, but I know somebody else in trouble, and they want me to fix their, their trouble. Uh, like, uh, was it yesterday? Was it yesterday? I think it was yesterday. Yeah, it was yesterday. Yeah, I think it was. I think it's Tuesday, right? Yesterday was Monday. Yeah, yeah, it was yesterday. I got to work, and I went away there for a little bit. I need to talk to you. You want to see something with me? I need to show you something. Oh, okay. So I went with him. Before I know, I'm two football fields down the, down the other side of the God knows where, finding, trying to fix somebody's mistake. <laughs> and uh, always like, uh, and they go, uh, can you fix this? I try my best. <laughs> I try my best. But then the pressure comes up on you. I mean, this is a silly, just a silly example. But, you know, we, we, we serve the Lord. We worship Him. We, 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 two, we come to the house of God. We give our tithes and offerings. And still, some of us go through those hard, hard times. Sometimes it seems that it is getting tougher and more stressful to live in this world of ours, isn't it? By the way, I don't know if you heard the news today. I don't like to get in pol political things, but this one just kind of, uh, I thought was kind of funny that the president is giving $10,000 $10, 10, $10, for student loans. For certain ones. My question was, what about private colleges? What about private colleges? Those kids going to have the same rights? No, they're not. Then I said to someone like this, and the parents of those kids, they're taxpayers just like everybody else. So if it's for one, it should be for the others as well. They're taxpayers the same way. They just choose to put their kids in some private colleges. But anyway, I'm not a politician, so if I, if I get the politicians, nobody would vote for me. <laughs> but anyway, let's go to our message this morning, tonight. So, uh, but, you know, we live in this crazy world, so it may, it may have to do with the snowfall effect or the sinful behaviors. And yeah, I'm going to tell you what it is. As we pass through, through our time, the snowfall is growing. So let, let's see. People can do something right now that is sinful. Now, literally, they're not going to reap the consequences, but that snowfall effect, that means like, literally, you know, you ever see a snowball that uh, on top of a mountain that rolls? And as it rolls towards the valley, it gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And to a point, it gets a giant, like, just colossal snowball. It's the same thing. Sometimes, you know, we can do something right here. It doesn't literally it doesn't seem that much to us. But as go, time moves on down the road, what we did here, it is really big over here. That's what we're going to look here today about what Saul did and what David had to deal with years down the road. So, but don't, don't be discouraged here tonight because there is hope. So don't say, the Pastor, you're going to have a, give us a message of uh, doomsday. No, 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 don't be discouraged, okay? But there is hope. There is hope in our text tonight, okay? Following the tree of other mis others' mistakes, they can offer us, us great lessons to save us from much pain. You know, folks, I don't believe that the stories that we read in the Bible about mistakes and sin of certain people, of the people written in the Bible, uh, God put them there with the purpose of shaming them. All right? The Lord didn't put their names in there, their stories, to shame them. I don't think that's what the Lord intended to do. I believe the Lord intended that be, for us to learn from their mistakes. 
So when we read it, we start and we go, oh, goodness, I don't want to make that. That's the purpose of it, so we don't make the same mistakes. You know what we do to our kids? You know, we, you go through some things in life, and you, you hurt, you want those things, and you experience the pain, and what do you want to do to our kids? You don't go there. You don't do that. You know why? Because we live already. We don't want them to get hurt as well. My dad, he was not a man of much talking, but he used to see that to me all the time. You don't want to do this. You don't want to go there. Why, Dad? I said, trust me. <laughs> My dad didn't explain it much. Trust me. You don't want to go there. So, so don't get discouraged here. Actually, look, go to Romans chapter 15, verse 4, and we see why the Lord have these stories in the Bible about these different men, about this sin, their victories, their mistakes, and all these things. Why? So we, look what it says there in Romans 15, 4. I'll let you get there. This is our Bible study tonight, so I'm going to slow down so you can get there yourself so you can see. Look what it says. Romans 15, 4. I encourage you, you online, instead of being a couch potato, just open your Bible and let's study together. And Nancy goes, I'm not a couch potato. <laughs> All right. Look what it says there in Romans 15, 4. For whatsoever things were written aforetime, what it means, in the past, were written for what? Our learning. That we through patience and comfort of the scripture might have what? Hope. So those things were written. God didn't try to shame them. Didn't try to look, look what you I'm going to put there in my book so people can look at you and see your mistakes. No. It's for our learning. God wants us to learn from the mistakes of others in the past. Because he wants what? The best for us. And we can have hope. So God's word offers us a pain-filled portrait to help us avoid the same mistakes some other people have done. So tonight I want, you, I want to look at five lessons that will help us learn by example. So now the end of the book of Samuel has four chapters that act as an, an apprentice, so to speak, of the book. So the apprentice includes two major songs of King David, sin that was introduced, the building of the, te the temple, and, and two strange stories that we're about to encounter. We're going to go through all this. So chapter 21 has two stories that sounds like tying, tying, up, tying uh, up loose ends on, from the past. So they are not attached to the time in the life of David, but that they are, they are uh, stories that put in, and David had to deal with it. So the two stories are, the number one, and this, this chapter tonight is famine. Famine because of Saul's sin against Gibeon. It is a famine that come upon the land, and David is perplexed for three years. He goes, why in the world we have so much famine in the land? What do we do? What, do, what have we done? And you know that famine, uh, I'm sorry, famine, famine, I'm sorry. The second one is Goliath's family. A final end of the Goliath of, the, uh, Goliath of Gad family and their insurrections here. Stranger still is finding that Goliath, with whom David fought, on the outset of his military career, had a number of offsprings who were left over and needed to be dealt with. So two things right here about this. So let's look at this a snowfall effect from several points tonight. Number one, God doesn't want us to suffer in silence. You follow that? God doesn't want us to suffer in silence. That's why he gives us brothers and sisters in Christ. You know what? If you're hurting, don't hurt in silence. If you suffer, don't suffering in silence. Share with someone. Sometimes a good talk 
helps tremendously. Sometimes, sometimes you just want somebody to listen. Ever been there? You just sit down. Listen, don't say anything. Just listen to me. Don't tell me. I just want you to listen. They go on and on and on. And you just need to listen. You know, in the end, they feel good. We need that. So don't suffer in silence. If you hurt, tell your brother or sister, I'm hurting. Pray for me. Help me. So look what it says in, in verse 1 here of our chapter. Then there was a famine in the days of David, three years, year after year, and David inquired, that's a very important word right here, of the Lord. And the Lord answered, and it was for Saul and for, and for his bloody house, because he slew the Gibeonites. So we see right here, three years of famine in the land, and finally, after maybe many thoughts and questions and meetings with this, you know, people in the palace and all that. And David said, you know what? I'm going to ask God, why is this? That's the word we see in choir. He went, he went to the Lord. means he prayed, he asked God to help him. You know, that's sometimes what we need to do too. Not sometimes, that's what we need to do. You know, go to the Lord and say, Lord, when we go through something in life, so Lord, why this? Why am I going through this? Why? What is the reason? Didn't Paul do the same thing? Didn't Paul do the same thing? Paul was suffering from some type of an illness. And Paul went to the Lord and asked him to take it away. You know, well, that's, that's, a, that's a legit thing. You know, hey, Lord, I'm hurting. Please take it away. And the Lord said, oh, no. My grace is sufficient for thee. You know, then he went again. He was not happy with the answer. He went again. You know what? Sometimes we do the same thing. You know, how many times we go to the Lord with one, one petition and we ask Him and it seems like the Lord just speaks to our hearts and we have the peace in our hearts, but we're not satisfied. Ever been there? And you find yourself asking the Lord again. And He puts the same thought in your heart, but you're still not satisfied. And you go back again. Ever been there with just me? And sometimes, you know, it's not just like Paul. We, we ask the Lord like 50 times, maybe 100 times, and we're still like, Lord, I know what you said, but Lord, and Lord said the same thing. So, inquire of the Lord here. So, sometimes you can see things are not going right, but you're not sure why. Ever been there? You see things, you go, something doesn't look right here, but I'm, I have no clue what's going on here. Ever been there? I've been there many times. You know, in a, at home, at church, at work, in a neighborhood, it happens all the time. You go, something doesn't look right. Something's not right. Why is this? Why is that? And you don't have the answers for it. You know what we need to do? Like David, inquire of the Lord. Go to the Lord and say, Lord, what's going on here? Can you please show it to me? Believe me, he will. He will. I tell you, when uh, years ago at First Baptist, Something happened really big there, and I was too young of a Christian to understand half of it. But I remember praying to the Lord, so Lord, I don't understand. I'm a young Christian. But Lord, can you show me what's going on here? I need to understand. Oh, I didn't take why. It was the following Sunday. I noticed immediately. Wow, the Lord just opened my eyes, and I was like, oh. I didn't have to be a grown-up Christian to understand what was going on. It was right in front of my eyes. So the Lord, when we ask the Lord, the Lord give it to us. So we can ask God about his, uh, uh, 
uh, his trials. God reminds, uh, reminded uh, later believers to do this. I'm sorry, I don't even know what I wrote here. So, you know, I'm sorry, the word inquire, that's what it is, verse 1, means intense prayer. It doesn't mean like, hey, Lord, can you tell me what's going on here? No, he is God. He's not a little buddy next door or a little friend or somebody else. No, no, he is the Lord. So if we're going to inquire of him, we're going to have reverence who he is and approach him the right way. When the Bible says that David inquired of the Lord, it means he went to the Lord with intense prayer. So in other words, David saw the famine, and, and obviously the result of it, he didn't know why the famine was going on, so he inquired of the Lord, he prayed to the Lord. So folks, how many times have we found ourselves in the same predicament? How many times uh, have you asked the Lord about certain things that are going on on which you do not understand? How many times have you asked the Lord, why, Lord, why, Lord? Ever been there? Oh, goodness. Why, Lord? Why is this? Why? How many times have we have questions that we have no answer? I believe that we all have those types of questions. We've all been there. But there, there comes, uh, here comes uh, uh, David and asks the Lord, why this famine? So Israel suffered from three years long famine. And so David inquired of the Lord to learn why he had, they had this famine in the land. So the word of God reveals there was a, a treaty made here. Uh, our author, in uh, the author of the book of, of Samuel right here, refers to them as the Amorites right here, uh, in uh, chapter 21, verse 2, verse 2, but they are more technically known as the Hivites in Joshua chapter 9, verse 1, 7, uh, uh, 11, and 19. So second, look at it again what it says there in verse 2. And the king called the Gibeonites and said unto them, uh, said unto them, We're now the children of Israel, but of the remnant of the Amorites, and the children of Israel had sworn unto them, and Saul sought to slay them in the in a zeal to the children of Israel and Judah. So they they lived in, in Canaan, and God had commanded Israel to annihilate them. Exodus chapter thirty-two, uh, verse two, in the, uh, chapter thirty-four, Deuteronomy chapter seven. Israel was tricked in Joshua chapter nine under the leadership of Joshua. You remember that? Those guys played a trick on them, and 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 Joshua got uh, got tricked. So through the, its warriors were among the best, uh, the Gibeonites believed that God had given the land of Canaan to Israel. They sent a, a delegation to, to the Israelites' camp, pretending to have uh, uh, come from a long journey, from a distant, a long place, but they're not. They were just local people. And they tricked them right here. So the Israelites made a covenant of peace uh, uh, that they, uh, uh, I'm sorry, where was I? covenant with peace with, the, with, the, uh, with them. Uh, so when they found out, they couldn't do anything about it because they made a covenant. You know, covenants in those days were something serious. You know, like today, you know, people don't keep their word. You know, <laughs> we live in a world today, somebody says something, they shake your hand, and two minutes later, they already said something else different. Or they say to you, oh, why do you really enjoy the service? I'm coming to church next Sunday. And you look at them, you know they're lying to you. That's the world we come down to today. You know, you, we come to a point today that people don't even keep their word. But not in those days. So when, when Joshua was tricked and they made a covenant with these people, Joshua didn't change his mind. He had to keep going with the treaty that they made. 
So with treaty tests right here, the Gibeonites treaty with the Israelites saved them from death by the Israelites. But it was also uh, put them in a danger with their fellow Amorites. So when five Amorite kings learned of the defection of the Gibeonites and their alliance with Israel, they viewed the Gibeonites as their enemy. And they set, they set out to attack and destroy them. We see this in chapter 10, verse 1 to 5. So the Gibeonites sent word to Joshua at Gilgal asking for his help, which they got. Joshua was assured by God that they would give them, they would have total victory. It says in verse 10, not a man of them shall stand before you. So marching all night from Gilgal, Joshua routed the five uh, Amorite kings with a great slaughter at Gibeon. So as they fled from, from before Joshua, God brought down great hail, uh, hailstones on them, killing more, uh, more with the hail than, than with the sword. We see this in chapter 10, verse 11. Even so, the victory was so complete. And so Joshua prayed, and God would cause the sun to stand still, giving the Israelites more time to destroy the Amorites. You see, we went through these lessons before when we went through those, those books. So the sun stood over Gibeon, so that there was never been a day of battle like it, before or since. One can, can only wonder what these Gibeonites thought as they uh, beheld the hand of the Lord there in that time. So when the Israelites took possession of the land of Canaan, the city of Gibeon was allowed, uh, allowed it to the territory of Benjamin, and it was also the set, the set aside of the Levites here. Give you a little history back here. But again, it was a covenant made here, and the covenant on which Joshua could not walk away. And now we see years later, we're going to see what the progression of this thing. So we see the first one right here is God doesn't want us to suffer in silence. So for three years, the children of Israel were suffering with famine. Finally, David said, I got to speak to the Lord. Listen, it's not good for us Christians to suffer quietly and don't even inquire of the Lord. If it hurts, Lord, why? Ask Him why. We should ask the Lord. If we're sick, Lord, I'm sick. Number two, God doesn't want us to guess, but ask. See this in verse 1 and verse 2. Look, go see again chapter, uh, uh, the, chapter 21, verse 1. And there was a famine in the days of David, three years, year after year, and David inquired of God, of the Lord. And look what it says, and the Lord answered. The Lord doesn't just listen to him. I believe, listen, if there's no sin in our lives, because God closes his ear if we have sinned and try to, try to pray to him. But let me tell you, if it's unconfessed sin. But if we are living a life of uh, uh, pleasing to the Lord, walking in good fellowship with the Lord, believe me, when we pray to the Lord, he listens. Right. He listens. He listens. That's what he does. So this famine went out three long years, and finally David inquired. He asked the Lord. So, but let me tell you, God doesn't want us to guess. Like, you know, we can go three years. Okay, what's going on? Mm, I think maybe it's this, maybe it's that, maybe it's this. Three more years. Oh, I don't know. You know, ten more years go by and still guess. No. Ask God. You know, we're famous to do that, aren't we? We're famous to do those things. We, we I mean, talking about us. We're famous to do, oh, I think maybe it's this. We try to rationalize, to put two cents into it. And a lot of times we forget the Lord. The good thing to do is to go to Him and ask Him. So 
We can sit back and ask the question or even criticize the children of Israel or even David of why it took so long for David to inquire of the Lord. We say, why it took David three years to do that? Let me put it this way. When you suffer quietly, how long it takes you before you ask God? You see that? It's easy to point the finger at David and say, David, three years? Why didn't you ask before? Well... We can, our name can be there and they say, Tony, four years and why didn't you ask the Lord for? We're all humans, you know. Why? We don't know. But you know what? I'm glad that David asked. <laughs> the same thing can be said of us. Why many times we take so much time inquired of the Lord with our problems? Why we try to rationalize, like I said, and explain it away, what's going on with us? I think this was true of the children of Israel as much as true of us. You know what? We send for people. When we guess and do not ask God what, I, what, uh, what will honor Him is a situation. In, in, in a situation. So w- when we, we forget to ask or we don't ask Him, we, you know, we get a problem here because the problem keeps on going. So Jesus gave us a little help here in the subject of asking. You know, we praise the Lord that David finally asked. What about us when we finally ask? But the, the, Lord, the, the Lord Jesus has an example right here for us. When we have something in our lives, we should ask. All right. Go to Matthew chapter 7 and verse 7. Let's see what Je- the way Jesus puts this thing. Jesus gave us a little help on the subject of asking the Lord instead of gassing. Don't gas. Ask. I had a, uh, somebody that I called today from church, they asked him a question. And I said to him, I said, what do you think? He's going to say yes or no? And he said to me, I'm a person I like to ask because what is he going to say? No? <laughs> I said, you know, at least you know is no. I said, now you got a point there. If you don't ask, you guess and you don't know. So, but if you ask, at least you, you have a no or yes, right? So there we go. Let, let, let's look at Matthew chapter 7, verse 7. Actually, actually this was... The greatest passage that I memorized when I was dealing with cancer. I, uh, I pray this, this passage every day. Every day I bring this passage several times before the Lord. Look what it says right here. Ask, and it shall be given unto whom? You. So, instead of guessing, we ask. We ask, and the Bible says, when you ask, God gives it to you. Look what it says next. Seek. And you are, shall find. No, no, just sit around and gasp. God says, you go and seek. Seek. And he says, knock, and it shall be open unto you. So God wants us to what? Seek, uh, ask, I mean, seek, well, I'm sorry. Ask, seek, and knock. For everyone that asketh, look what it says, receive it. And he that seeketh, find it. And to him that knocketh, it, it shall be open. And look what Jesus elaborates a little bit on this. He said, if you don't really believe me what I'm saying, let me, let me give you some food for thought here. Look what it says in verse 9. Or oh, what a man is there of you, whom, uh, whom if his son asks bread, will give him a stone? You see what Jesus said? Jesus, Jesus becomes so practical. So practical. He's trying to get their minds, those who are listening to him. He says, what do one of you to have a son, if he asks you bread, you're going to give him a stone? This guy's probably laughing here. Look what it says here. Um, Look what it says in verse 10. 
And if he, if he asks uh, a fish, will ye give him a serpent? And if then, if then being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your Father which is in heaven give you good things to them that ask him? You see, he says to you and me, you which are born of sinful creatures, you give the best you can to your children, right? How much God can give you if you ask? Wow. Is Jesus simple here? David took him three years to inquire of the Lord. Three years. Finally, he went to God, and as soon as he asked, God gave him the answer. How many times do we ask, and the Lord give us the answer? Sometimes, almost immediately. Other times, he waits to give the answer. And then we do, we keep asking. You see, David asked the Lord, and the Lord answered him immediately. That's what we need to do when we have a need, when we're in trouble, or whatever is the situation, don't guess, ask. Follow that? Don't guess, ask. Sometimes, you know, let's say, I want to ask Brother Tom to preach for me next Wednesday night. I'm like, oh, I guess he's, he's going to say yes. What about for next Wednesday night, I'm still gassing and he doesn't show up? <laughs> what happened? I failed to ask, right? I failed to ask. So instead of gassing you, ask. Sometimes I think we don't have answer prayers. I'm not saying, don't, don't misunderstand me here. It's because a lot of times we don't ask. We don't seek. We don't knock. And God says, child, I'm still waiting for you to ask. Probably the same reason here with David. The Lord answered because, I'm sorry, let me go back here a little bit. You see, David asked the Lord and the Lord answered him. That's what we need to do when we have a need, when we're in trouble, or whatever the situation, don't ask the Lord. Uh, don't guess, but ask. The Lord answer, answered that it was because of the sin of Saul and his bloody house, a sin against the Gibeon. So in the, in the Hebrew text, for Saul... And for his bloody house right here. So the law of Moses forbid Israel to punish children for the, for the sins of their fathers. Look what it says in Deuteronomy chapter 24 verse 16. The father shall not be put to death. Uh, the, uh, shall not be put to death for the children. Neither shall the children be put to death for the fathers. Every man shall be put to death for his own sin. So God's word uh, to David seems to emphasize the fact that Saul did not act alone in seeking to annihilate the Gibeonites here. His family became accomplice in this plan. And why in the world did Saul want to get rid of these people anywhere? It was a covenant that was made. So apparently Saul in his house comments a program to genocide against the Gibeonites here and take their ancestral territory into a private inheritance for their father's family uh, so in, anyway, so what are we? So in chapter twenty-one, verse two, in the case that was an attempt out of some misguided uh, thing right here. So what are we reminded to stick to the script right here? We see this in verse two. Look at verse two again. And the king called the Gibeonites and said unto them, Now the Gibeonites, we're not of the children of Israel, but of the remnant of the Amorites. And the children of Israel had sworn unto them, and Saul sought to slay them in his zeal to the children of Israel and Judah. 
Now, the question is, did Saul knew there was a covenant made with these people? Yes, he knew. Why he decide to, to get rid of these people? Didn't God tell Saul to get rid of the Amalekites? Yeah. What did Saul do with the Amalekites? He failed miserably. But instead of going after the Amalekites, what God had told him to do, he went after the Gibeonites, which was a covenant made, and he shouldn't go there. Isn't that amazing? I think Saul had everything upside down. So we see, no, let's go to number three. God have consistent principles. God have consistent principles. So first of all, God doesn't want us to suffer in silence. Number two, God doesn't want us to gasp, but ask. Number three, God have consistent principles. Listen, God is not a man that flip-flops. God doesn't say one thing today and another thing tomorrow. God's word stands forever. We can trust him. You know, not like, you know, oh, you know, salvation is through Jesus and Jesus alone by faith in Christ alone. God doesn't say, oh, I changed my mind. No, you can save through your church. You can save being a good person. You can save through this and through that. Well, that's what we want to, to, to happen. It's not God. He didn't change his word. His word stands forever. God does not flip-flop like we do. Right. We change our mind constantly. You know, like, oh, I'm sorry, I'll change my mind. We even say that. God doesn't do that. God has consistent principles. He will judge sin. He will save those who ask. That's God's consistent principle. God is not going to close the eyes to someone and say, I'm a good person. I've been religious. I did so much good for humanity. I deserve to go to heaven. Right, God? And God says, oh, yeah, I think so. It's not going to happen. It won't happen. So that God has consistent principles in dealing with sin and has revealed them to us. Here are some of those important uh, principles. Number one, or letter A, sin gives away rewards. Sin gives away rewards. Look what it says in verse 3. Wherefore David said unto the Gibeonites, What shall I do for you? And wherewith shall I make the atonement that ye may bless the inheritance of the Lord? By now David knew that they had to make peace with the Gibeonites in order for the famine to stop. Even though the Israelites were God's people, they were suffering in the famine because of the sin of one. You know... It goes like this. We say sometimes, it's my prerogative. I do what I want to do. If I do a mistake, it's my own mistake. It's nobody's business. You know what? What we do sometimes and many times, most of the time, is the word, drags a bunch of people with us. Doesn't it? It does. What happened here? Saul did something. Many years down the road, guess who's suffering? Because of him. Now, in the scripture, we are, we are told that Saul slaughtered the Gibeonites and thus broke the vow that Israel had, uh, with, that had made with Joshua. So Joshua tried to make the best of his mistake because he put the Gibeonites to work as woodcutters and in water carriers, but Israel vow obligated them before the, the to God uh, before to, for God to protect them. So Joshua made a vow right here. So Saul's religious life uh, is a puzzle here. 
attempted to, uh, to appear very godly, he would make foolish vows that nobody would keep. He did that. We see this in 1 Samuel chapter 14 uh, in other chapters. While at the same time, he, did, he didn't obey the clear command of the Lord. Like I said, we see him uh, uh, not doing what God told him to do about, about uh, the Amalekites, but then we have him going after the Gibeonites here, which they have a covenant with Israel. Folks, just because we are Christians and because we are headed to heaven doesn't give us the right to treat non-Christians like second-class citizens. You got that? May, may we remember that we are people created in the image of God, and so are they. We have to respect those who are not saved. We, we have to treat them with decency and kindness. We have to treat them the way we, uh, we want to be treated. You know, uh, Saul looked at the Gibeonites and said, they're not the bloodline of Israel. We're just going to exterminate them. They were people in a covenant that were made. How will the Lord bless us if we're not willing, if we not willing to even go and ask them to forgive us when we do wrong to them? And talking about even the lost people. You'll say, well, I'm better than you. I'm going to heaven. I don't have to say I'm sorry to you. Yes, we do. They're people. Remember that we are representatives of the Lord on earth, and the Lord's representatives, we are to show Christ to the world. So we see right here that uh, sin gives away rewards. You know what? Sin always gives away its fruits. We might play with sin for a season, but when the season is over, we will reap what we sow over there. We will without fail. And we say, how oh, could some people get away with sin all their life? Their maker is waiting for them on the other side. Let me put it this way a little bit about vows and covenants. I, I, I think that is very serious. Like for an example, I always ask like missions conference is coming. Missions conference, it is a... A, we ask a church family to pray what they're going to, what they want to do for, the, for worldwide missions, talking about the financial aspect, what they would do so we can send missionaries to other parts of the world. I take it very seriously, but I even put it this way. God takes his, a vow very serious. So if I say to the Lord, Lord, I'm going to go once a year or once every week or once a month, I'm going to, Lord, give this for missions. And you're making that vow before the Lord. God takes that vow seriously. He takes it very seriously. So I'm saying to you, if you vow before the Lord, do your part of the bargain. Because God has a way to get what, get what he, you ask or you told him you were going to do. So letter A, we see sin gives away um, do I give you letter A? Uh, letter B, I'm sorry, letter B. There you go, letter B. Sin gives away control of my future course. Look what it says in verse 4. And the Gibeonites said unto him, We will have no silver, no gold of Saul, nor of his house, neither for us shall thou kill any man in Israel. And he said, What he shall say, that will I do for you. So the Gibeonites didn't want no money, no nothing of Israel for the for the sake of, for the, so the peace would be made and, and the famine would go away. They didn't want nothing of that. 
So David called the Gibeonites and asked them what he should, uh, what he should do to make the matter right. The Gibeonites made it clear that it was, there was no money that they wanted, just not there. They didn't want that. When we Listen, folks, when we wrong people, it's not what we feel will make them right that counts the most. You follow that? If we wrong some, some, some people, it's not that we, we feel that we're going to do, that we're going to make things right, especially if we wrong the other person, but with the, the way they feel about it. So we go to him, and David did right right here. David asked them, what should we do? David didn't say, yeah, I'm going to do this and this and this for you. Are you okay with it? No, David said, what should we do? And they give him the opportunity for them to say, this is what we want. Listen, and when we wrong somebody... We shouldn't just come to the, uh, just this pre-idea in our mind to say, like, that's what I'm going to do for them. They're going to be all right. That's not the way it works. Think about it. We hurt them. We hurt them. They now hurt us. That is one of the profound penalties of sin. We become the servants of those we have hurt and surrender the, bla- surrender the blessing and the power of all uh, ramifications. So listen, folks, when we hurt somebody, we should never come to a place where we say, I don't care how they feel. We should care and we should let them know that we do care how they feel. If we hurt all the people, the other people, I'm sorry, and then play the victim, more than likely nothing will ever get resolved. Think about it. The children of Israel, many years later, are reaping consequences of King Saul sin towards these people. They didn't commit any sin. Saul did in the past. But the nation is suffering because of it. Let us see. Sin's judgment is impartial. Sin's judgment is impartial right here. God doesn't play favors in the, in, in the sowing reaping principle of life. He did not excuse or overlook the sin of those he chose. God doesn't say, okay, uh, I'm going to overlook your sin. You can come to heaven. Oh, I'm going to judge you. And God doesn't play favors. Sin is sin. And if we refuse to receive Jesus as our personal Savior, we have no way to get to heaven. He's the only bridge to heaven. Right. The only bridge. So God must judge sin. And that's what he's doing right here. So he did not excuse or overlook the sins of those he chose. So he did not con- condemn the Canaanites for their sin and, they- and then condemn them the same sin among his chosen people. So the Gibeonites told David that since Saul destroyed some of them and purposely purposed to kill them all, they, want- they would find justice served if they- but seven of Saul's sons were hanged over to them for execution or hand- hand over for them for execution. You know, like blood for blood right here. Look at verse 6 of our text. Let seven men of our sons be delivered unto us, and we will hang them up. Look what it says, unto the Lord in Gibeah of Saul, whom the Lord did choose. And the king said, look what David said, I will give them. Wow. See, David didn't just give things to them. David asked them. They told David what they want. And David said, I will give them to you. Because you know what's going on over here? Famine is going on here. You know why the famine is going on? Because somebody called Saul 
try to kill that whole people, all that people, when Israel had a covenant with these people. And you know what? God says, you have to go to these people, you have to ask them, what should you, what they want you to do in order for the famine to stop. And David understood, I'm going to do, give, that, give that to you so the famine will stop. I wonder many people die with this famine. See, hanging was a punishment used for, the, for very serious crimes. We see this in Genesis chapter 40, verse 19, Deuteronomy 21, 22, 23. See in Joshua chapter 8, verse 29, uh, chapter 10, verse 26. So the Gibeonites promised they would hang Saul's, uh, 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 you, I'm sorry, Saul's sons before the Lord. It seemed to me that they were, they were viewing this manner as they should, seeing that they were carrying out God's will in a way that satisfied or uh, propitiate him and thus satisfy them as well. They would carry out the execution before the city of Saul, before the Lord in Gibeah of Saul. Letter these sin, sin's punishment isn't my job. Sin's punishment isn't my job. It is God's business to judge sin alone, not us. You follow that? We should not never be judged over other people. I mean, it's dangerous to say, you're going to hell. All you do, no, I'm not a judge. Who am I even to say that? No. We are to always give the gospel to people. Always give the gospel to people. When we judge, we literally put ourselves in the place of God because God is the judge. It is not a place uh, you and I want to be. We are to let God be God, not judges. Look what it says in verse 6 again. Let seven men of, of his house be delivered unto us, and, be, and we will hang them up, up unto the Lord in Gibeah of Saul, whom the Lord did choose. And the king said, I will give them. The Gibeonites didn't bring about the judgment of God. God brought out the, the right thing of the, wrong, uh, of the wrong for them. So this is not a vengeful hatred right here. It was a careful justice. I know that because they didn't initiate the judgment. They waited until uh, ask and acknowledge them. See, they knew the injustice that was made to them, but they didn't go after Israel for justice. It was God. Who brought the famine in the land? God did. Not the Gibeonites. They didn't do anything. They didn't even react to what Saul did to them. But it was years later when this famine comes in the land and David inquired of the Lord. Still the Gibeonites didn't come against Israel. It was David that went to them and asked him. The famine came from the Lord. So God is, was with this. That sin was not going away. You see, it goes against like when we think we can get away with sin. Oh, I, can get, I can do this. Nobody will ever know. Oh, God knows. God knows. Exactly what we have done. God knows those things. See, we, we are never to judge sin in the lives of others. Never. We can see what's going on in the lives of others, but for us to be judges over that, that's not a true thing. So the same thing, we need to be careful that we don't place ourselves as judges over people. We are to speak the truth, Always speak the truth in love. You know, listen, let's say if you witness to somebody, so a person that is lost, 
If you approach that person in a hateful way, in a despicable way, looking down on that person, do you think you're going to win that person for Christ? More than likely not. Now, we go tell them the truth. Why? In love. If we're going to tell them about Jesus, we tell them in love. And listen, I want to tell you this stuff because God loves you, and I love you enough to tell you the truth. So anyway, uh, where was I here? My, my, my thing's right here and playing games on me. Oh, there we go. Okay, well, I'm sorry. Do I give you a letter D? Okay, letter D, okay. Sin is my job, okay. So, uh, yes, we are to speak the truth always, the truth. And yes, not judging people, but I believe, you know, when we speak the truth, and somebody's doing wrong, and we speak in the truth, that truth can hurt them. But that's the truth. We should not deviate from the truth because, oh, you're hurting me. I'm sorry, but I'm talking the truth. I'm not being a judge over you. I'm talking, I'm telling you the truth. I'm telling you what God says in his word. So we have to speak the truth in love. Yes, we have to correct those who are wrong. Yes, so when people are wrong, correct them in love. Yes, we have to stand up and live up, live the truth. But we are not to point a finger in a judgmental way towards anyone. God is the judge, not us. We are never to, 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 to judge sin in other people's lives. So, letter E. Sin's judgment will arrive. It may not come immediately, but it will come. We see this in verse 6. I will give them. So, uh, Saul's sons were selected, except Mephibosheth. The son of Jonathan was spared because David's, again, covenant with whom? Jonathan. Because of David's covenant with Jonathan, Mephibosheth was spared. You see how David honored a covenant. You see, I think we can learn something. Sometimes you say, well, the Old Testament is the Old Testament. I tell you what, we can learn so much, even from the Old Testament, actually when Jesus was on the earth, let's say there was no New Testament, there was no, just the Old Testament. But let me tell you this. We can learn so much about when we speak a word, it's a word and stands. See, Mephibosheth was spared because David had a covenant with Jonathan. Where was Jonathan at this time? He was dead. But he still honored the covenant that he made with another person. I think we should learn from this. We should be people of truth. We should be people of our word. And people can, when we talk, people could say, that person speaking the truth. I can trust that person. That's the way we should be. We live in a world where lying is all over the place. You can't trust anybody. They say one thing, they, they keep lying to you. Right in your face. I'm telling you, I, I live in a world, I mean, when I was much younger, when people used, they, we, we, they were lying, you could see their faces, their face would turn a little bit, they, they were a little uncomfortable. Not today. There's no shame anymore. We live in a world, there's no more shame. People just say it as they feel like, and they don't care if you like it or not. So Mephibosheth was the one that was, that was speared right here because of a covenant that was made by David to Jonathan. But the other ones, yes, David gave to them. Look at verse 9. And he delivered them into the hands of the Gibeonites, and they hanged them in the hill before the Lord. And they fell all seven together and were put to death in the days of harvest, in the first day, in the beginning of barley harvest. So some people think that they can get away with everything in life. They think 
that, uh, that for them there is no consequences of doing wrong. But sin is as real in their lives as in the life of any others. And let me tell you, sin always comes with consequences. There will come a day of reckoning for those people. It will come a day. I remember there was a guy that was working with me, a young kid, and they were doing some foolish stuff in the workplace, some foolish stuff. And I felt like, like I'm a father to these kids. I told them, like, guys, you guys need to stop this. You guys are going to really get in trouble with the law. And you guys are going to lose your jobs. I would stop that. Ha! You look at the mockery. Ha! You don't know how to have fun. you old-fashioned. They go on and on and on. And you're like, you mean, the, you mean the best for them. What happened? Be sure your sin will find you out. You know what happened? They were caught in the very act of sin. Yep, you lost his job, and he got put in jail for trafficking drugs in the workplace. We saw it. We told them, stop with this. They didn't listen. You see, just a silly example of what sin can do. So we see my fourth point God takes covenant agreements seriously. I actually elaborate a little bit on this, but God takes a covenant agreement very seriously. David restrict, restricted the sons, uh, taking base in his covenant, and give, and give the Gibeonites uh, the seven sons as requested by the Gibeonites. They requested, he gave it to them. They were not murdered. They were executed by legal command of authority. This illustrates the serious nature of a covenant in Scripture. David's dealing with the Gibeonites as it's at its root is a matter of keeping the covenant right here. Israel had made a covenant with the Gibeonites, even though this covenant was about 400 years old right here. God still took it seriously. Let me put it this way. If I vow to the Lord on, on, on a missions conference that I can give him, I don't know, $100 a week, uh, $2 a week, a penny a week, I don't know. If I vow that and I do that for the whole year, I better keep it because one year later, God still remembers. And God's going to say, didn't you promise to do this? God deals with many terms of covenant right here. The breaking of that covenant had serious consequences for Saul's family, and it brought a famine on the land of Israel. And we say, well, it doesn't matter what I do. I do what I want to do. Guess what? The people are suffering because of a sin of somebody. Actually, Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Go to Ecclesiastes chapter 5 in verse 1. Uh, let's look here at a couple of things about this covenant thing here. We, have, we still have a few minutes. And God is serious right here in the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 5, verse 1. Look what it says right here. Keep thy foot when thou goest to the house of whom? The house of God. And be more ready, look what it says, to hear than to give the sacrifices of what? Of fools. For they consider not that they do evil. You follow that? There are people that walk in the house of God with disrespect, don't listen to anything, and they're not inclining their ears to what is being said. Because they're considering, Luke says, for they consider not that what they do is evil. Be not harsh with thy mouth, and let not thy heart be hasty to utter anything before God. 
For God is in heaven and upon the earth. Therefore, let thy words be few. He said, literally, if you don't have nothing to say to God, don't say anything. But if you say something, mean what you say. Wow. Hey, look, it says in verse 3, For a dream cometh through the multitude of business, and a fool's voice is known by the multitude of what? Words. When thou vowest a vow, look what God says right here. When thou vowest a vow unto God, defer not to pay it. For he had no pleasure in fools. Pay that which thou hast vowest. I see this in every missions conference. Make sure you pray that the Lord will in your heart what to do. And when you put that number, make sure you honor that. Don't do that for a week or two and go, ah. You're breaking a vow with God that you have committed to God, not anybody else. No, you have to deal with God on that. It's a serious thing, folks. And I see this with a whole heart of people because, God, listen, our God doesn't forget what we say to Him. When we make a vow to the Lord, God takes it seriously. Uh, let's see. Look at verse 6. Suffer not thy mouth to cause thy flesh to sin, neither say thou, thou, uh, uh, thou before the, the angel uh, that it was in error. Wherefore shall God be angry at thy voice and destroy the work of thy hands? Even when a covenant is entered into foolishly, as the Israelites and the Gibeonites, God expects a believer to keep his covenant. When we make a covenant before the Lord, the Lord takes that covenant seriously, so we need to be careful how we vow things before God. We need to be careful. Because, you know, when we're making a vow to God, we're not talking to our little body next door or our little friend. We're talking to our Creator. He is the Lord God Almighty. Number five, troubles can make us face laxity in our own walk. We see this from verse 10 all the way to verse 14. David corrects something of uh, oversight. I'm not going to read the verse because of the lack of time, but it's there on his own, in, uh, in his own story as well. I'm sorry. Uh, let me go back again. David corrects something of an oversight of his own in the story as well. Saul had, had done uh, wrong, but... But Saul was a king of Israel. So David, uh, right here, what are they going to do? David goes and gets the bones of Saul and Jonathan uh, uh, home to, ben, uh, to Benjamin and bury them with honor in the family's tomb of, of his father Kish. So it was not the execution of Saul's son which brings healing to the land. Now until after the burial of Saul and his son that the famine goes away. So the bodies were not removed. Uh, um, uh, I'm sorry, the... Uh, What's it right here? So the, the, he does, he, he fulfills what, what the Gibeonites ask, but he also goes and buries the bones of uh, Saul and his sons right here. I conclude with this. God answers prayer. In this case, the author of our text in 2 Samuel underscores the fact that God removed the famine because it took, he took heed of the prayers of his people, in this case, David. And he took heed of the prayers because the sin which inherited the, the, their prayers has been atoned right here. Let me put it this way. 
we be careful. We need to be careful with the the the. Uh, let me give you the word right here. The snowfall effect of sin. Sin can start here small and gradually get bigger, 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 and time goes on. Well, I tell you what. We we should not guess. We should ask God, seek His face, talk to Him. That's how we should do. That's what David did. Why it took so long for David to do that? I do not know. But he finally did it. So there you have it. Five important lessons right here. Silence, suffering isn't necessary. Gassing at God's way is bad, but asking, uh, asking God's works. So uh, asking God works. God deals with sin in a consistent way. He doesn't change. God deals through on changing covenant and wants us to live up to our, our part of the bargain. Trouble can be a great educator to help me see what I, what I wasn't seeing before. So God gave us a model uh, for us to follow right here is that, is that well, and I give it to you again. Let me go back to the beginning of this. And I conclude with this. God doesn't want us to suffer in silence. Don't suffer in silence. But let me tell you, secondly, is this. God doesn't want us to guess, but to what? Ask. Ask. And how often should we ask? All the time. Constantly. Isn't that what kids do? But daddy, daddy, daddy. I remember my kids when they were little. Daddy this, daddy that, daddy this. You know what? They're kids. Who are we? Kids. You know, I don't see in the Bible where you graduate from being a kid or become a teenager. God always calls us kids, no matter how old we are. So we are as kids. And as as kids, we will ask, ask all the time. And we knock. We knock and call daddy. Daddy, are you listening to? Well, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, so much, Lord, for this message tonight. Help us, Lord, not to guess, but to always ask, seek, and knock. And Lord, help us, each one of us, Lord, to do that. Not just once in a while, like David took him three years to inquire of you, Lord, but to do it constantly, every day. In Jesus' name.